Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome to The Forecast. I'm Post Media National Golf Writer John McCarthy here with Toronto Sun Golf Writer Dave Hilson. How are you, Dave? How you doing, John? I'm good. I am good. We are on location this week from Magna Golf Club, the site of the CP Women's Open. And the forecast is brought to you by Callaway Golf. Learn more about how to up your game at callawaygolf.ca. Can't get over what a beautiful venue this is, John. Yeah, I know it is. uh, It's uh, one of the most prestigious private clubs around. It's uh, it's beautiful. It's lush. The greens are like uh, like almost... Not the greens. I mean, the colors green out there are, are as green as you'll see anywhere in the world, it seems. Yeah, when I was coming in this morning, it, it looked surreal. It, like, it looked like a green that I'd never seen before, really <laughs> beautiful. And all the women out here uh, so far that have come into the media tent have been raving about what great shape it's in as well. Yeah, we're going to have later on in the show, we're going to have an interview with the uh, Canadian national women's team coach, Tristan Mullally. He knows everything about all the uh, up-and-coming Canadian women golfers that are going to be here. There's 15 Canadian women in uh, in the field this week. But we're going to start the show by talking about the uh, Tour Championship, the FedEx Cup. It's the last week of the of the PGA Tour season, um, and it's the first uh, year for this new format. New format where you players will start the event at you know, number one. Uh, Justin Thomas will start the event at 10 under par, and it goes down from there. So... Everyone wants to see how this is going to go. Do you have any thoughts so far before the tournament starts? I do. Um, first of all, let me just backtrack slightly to the first two events of the FedEx Cup. I'm interested in them. I think it's kind of exciting to see, you know, can somebody get in, you know, make their way through the first event, get into the second event, who's going to make it to the third event. It's kind of interesting. Now we've made it to the Tour Championship and you've got this staggered scoring. And I'm not quite sure it's fair in a way because... You got Justin Thomas that comes in the tournament at 10 under. Now, he had a fabulous BMW championship for sure, but the rest of his year wasn't that fantastic. He had some wrist injuries and such. So should Justin Thomas have a five-stroke advantage over Rory McIlroy, who's sitting in the fifth spot after Rory wins twice and has like 12 top 10s or something? And you've pretty much eliminated people below maybe the seventh or eighth spot because uh, for example canadian Corey connors he's playing in the, yeah he's at one under he starts at one under so he has nine strokes to make up on justin thomas that's almost impossible i think yeah and I, I mean i'm a bit of two minds like i want to see how it goes just before i make a, a judgment on it um the thing with connors i mean last place in this tournament makes over 400,000 Americans. So it's pretty tough to have a bad week this week. Um, But I do think that calling this sort of the seasons long race is a bit of a misnomer when you have 
uh, you know, Justin Thomas and Patrick Reed, who basically had not great years until the playoffs. But on the other hand, they need to make the the playoff events mean a lot because they want fans to tune in. So it, it's it's hard to to put a finger on. They double the points, though, right? In the first two events yeah. for a win. Maybe that's a little much. I don't know. Yeah, and there's also some talk that the majors, since they are the you know the the crown jewels of the golf calendar, should be worth more. Should be worth you know a thousand FedEx Cup points for a win, and there there could be something to that for sure. Yeah, I kind of feel that way personally. Anyway, uh, you were mentioning Corey, and he's going to pick up a nice paycheck either way, and maybe there's not going to be much pressure on those guys that are lower down because they really for them to come back is such a big tax. So maybe they go out there very relaxed, yeah. enjoy their games, put together some good scores. Yeah, and one thing, when you look at a guy, you know, uh, Justin Thomas starts at 10 under par. Um, Cantlay starts at 8 under. Um, going into, a, say, a weekend of a tournament, if a guy's got a, a lead like that, you know, so he's got a nine-shot lead over Connors, if you're heading into Saturday or Sunday of a tournament, you'd, you'd expect Connors to be completely out of it because the guy in the lead has been playing two rounds or three rounds of great golf. One thing I'm interested in seeing is, there's no, there's nothing saying that Justin Thomas or Patrick Cantley is going to have a good week. So they start, they start the event with a big lead. But if they, if it's not their week, that lead could be gone, you know, in nine holes. So True. It, it is interesting that it's not like looking at a normal leaderboard because um, these guys haven't played, they haven't shown that they're in great form this week. So it, it's going to be very interesting to see how it goes. Yeah, and maybe it puts a little bit of pressure on the guy that's leading to go in because he's already got a five-stroke lead. It's kind of weird to say pressure, but, you know, people almost expect him to win now. Yeah, and it's it's such a, uh, even getting this event, the final 30 players, if all of them have uh, have had phenomenal seasons and you got $15 million for first, $5 million for second, $4 million for third. So it is, it's almost like this is like the bonus party that they've gotten here and it's all gravy now. So I think probably a lot of players are going to look at it like that. I I didn't like it before when you could have two different champions like last year. You had yeah. you know Tiger winning the Tour Championship, Justin Rose winning the FedEx. I didn't like that. And if you're not going to do that, this I think I think this is not a bad solution unless you're going to have after all the playoffs, you have the final five players play maybe a, a five player tournament to see who wins. But the get the players aren't interested in that. They don't want to add another week to their schedule. So I think that this we'll see how it goes. But I am I'm actually optimistic that this is not a bad uh, way to end the season. Yeah, well, one thing I agree with you is certainly I didn't like the format either where you would have these two winners. So at least they've eliminated that. And I, yeah, we'll see how this goes. Another uh, topic that's come up in the last, during the playoffs, sort of the two biggest issues in golf have come to a head almost in the last few weeks with slow play when the Bryson DeChambeau uh, clips went viral. And then the uh, technology and the distance debate has sort of come to a head as well with Medina, you know, a, a formerly a beast of a, a long beastly course that just got torn to shreds, shreds by the players. So it's got slow play and technology both coming to a head this week. So, um, it's interesting. Europe's decided. The European tours decided to to make rule have announced rule changes to try and uh, help slow play. The PGA Tour says it's sort of still investigating. But uh, what do you think about slow play or the technology? I'll start with the technology. I guess. I mean, yeah, there's not a course that can uh, stand up to the players when they're playing well or if the conditions are correct. Doesn't matter how long they get. Medina, as you said, showed that. You know, these guys can. These guys could play at 8,000 yards. It doesn't really matter. They're still going to score well. So 
Mm-hmm. Uh, they, uh, a lot of players have talked about how they like the heritage where uh, at Harbor Town because you have to kind of, th- it's not a long course, but you really think your way around that. But I don't know what the fans want to see. I mean, I, I, I like seeing the guys really bomb the ball out there. You it know? is funny because I, I agree with you. you know, Adam Scott said that when are they, when are they going to learn with course setups that what you have to do is you have to make the players move the ball off the tee. You know, you, you can't just expect length to, to, to hurt these guys. And, and so, I mean, he's on that page, but like you said, I've been a lots of tournaments where you hear fans saying, Oh, I want to follow a so-and-so because they're a bomber. I want to see, I don't want to follow a guy who hits at 280. They want to f- watch a guy who hits at 350. So it is, it is funny because for one of the biggest, what we, you know, maybe would consider problems of the game, the fans, Joe fan still likes watching guys like Phil would say, hit bombs. Yeah, well, it's one of the things I think that really separates the pros from the rest of us because obviously there's a lot of things to separate the pros from the rest <laughs> of us. But, you know, I can hit it to two feet from 150 yards sometimes. I'm never going to drive the ball 370 yards. Like I see the guys, you know, I've seen them at Glen Abbey, you know, Dustin Johnson and Bubba Watson. If they get a little bit of a win behind them, they're hitting the ball 370, 380 sometimes. That's mm-hmm. never going to happen for me. Yeah. And and again, then the other part of it, we're talking slow play. That's another thing that the average fan on television probably doesn't recognize because they are able to cut back and forth from players. It's really more of a problem for the players in the tournament that are frustrated with slow play, you know, and so people covering the tournament at the tournament, but it's really maybe a small uh, minority of, of people associated with the game that realize or think that slow play is this huge problem. I mean, I think slow play is more of a problem in recreational golf and maybe there's like a trickle down effect when you're watching these guys like stare at putts for two minutes. Maybe you start doing that on your own course, but I mean, Unlike like when we're done, if we're sitting there for a five and a half hour round, we still have to go home and mow the lawn. Yeah. And so these guys, you know, so it takes them five hours before they get to hop into their uh, courtesy <laughs> car and go, go out for dinner. But it, I think it is more of a problem for the, the casual golfer than it is on the, on the PGA Tour. But we'll see. Well, we've all been in that situation where we've been out for a round with our buddies on the weekend. You get stuck beside some behind some really slow group. And you start maybe firing the odd drive <laughs> into them, you know, just like to I say. I would never do that. No, but just to say, come on, guys, let's get moving a bit. But, yeah, you're right. As a, as a guy watching a pro tournament, you don't really see it being an issue. But, as you said, it's reared its ugly head a couple of weeks ago with some uh, putting, putting shenanigans yeah. from uh, from Bryson DeChambeau. Yeah, from and, DeChambeau. And it's also, as um, tour coverage, golf coverage uh, evolves and we have more streaming services and featured groups. That's when you're like the, the clip everybody saw from DeChambeau was during a featured group of, of the PGA tour live stream. So they're only showing one group and that's when they really get exposed because they can't switch to, you know, three, four other groups. They're only showing this one group. And if, you know, DeChambeau is uh, flipping through his, uh, his science textbook, trying to figure out how to hit the putt, we're going to watch him do it. So I think as, as the uh, broadcast evolves, it's actually, bringing slow play to the fore right and the european tour is actually going to deal with it by putting actual time limits on how long you have to hit each shot yeah and once you're on the clock now if you get uh two if you breach your time twice once you're on the clock it's if you get a penalty and so that's it's uh we will see penalties on the european tour the pga tour has not they've never wanted to move as fast as uh uh, or never shown that they're willing to move as fast and as progressive as the European tour. So uh, like Jay Monahan said, you know, when we have something to say about slow play, we'll tell you. And they're looking at their shot linked data to try and see 
not just the time it takes to play the whole round, but how long specific players are taking over the ball, which is where a lot of, I think, uh, the tour players are noticing it. Like when you talk, when Brooks Kepka was talking about uh, JB Holmes, it wasn't necessarily that he's taking uh, five hours to play around a round of golf. It's that when it's his turn to hit, his glove isn't on, his club isn't out of yeah. his bag. And I think that's what irks the players. Right. Off. And that is pretty strange, isn't it? That you've been playing the game that long and you're kind of out of it. You're daydreaming. You're not paying attention. You're not ready to go. That seems weird. Yeah. And I do think that I've always thought that there's only two things that will change uh, slow play. It's if the sponsors have a problem with it, which I'm not sure the sponsors do because it, really the telecast looks okay. And at the tournament, there's so much going on outside the ropes now with fan experiences that the sponsors almost, they want you uh, not watching the golf. They want you in the, uh, you know, in their booth. Right, right. Filling out their contests or doing their, uh, their immersive events. So I don't think that the sponsors care. And then the other thing I thought would be if the game's top players made it an issue. And that's what we've had. We have Rory yeah. McIlroy, Brooks Kepka, week in and week out, making it an issue. And that is, makes it sort of bad optics if you have your biggest stars constantly complaining about something. So I think that is, and, and the players policing themselves might be uh, what this really needs. I guess one other thing that the European tour is talking about doing to combat slow play is cutting down the field a little bit. I'm not actually sure how that solves the problem because you have a smaller field, but if a guy's still out on the course being slow, what's the difference? Yeah. Well, Bubba Watson, I, I spoke with him earlier in the year and he thought that was the way he said, the only way to get rid of slow play is to take 20 players out of the field. He says, we just have too many guys on the golf course and but he said, no, the players aren't going to go for it because, you know, it's already hard enough to get on the PGA Tour. Yeah. I, I mean, to me, it's a little bit punitive because, yeah, to play pro golf is very, very difficult. And if you take away 20 spots that are available, that's that's a huge deal. Now, the PGA Tour is doing something similar to this next year, I believe. They're talking about getting rid of the secondary cut. Yeah. So that would lessen the amount of players in the field. Uh, going into the weekend, which I guess from what Bub is saying would probably help a little bit with that. Yeah, and I agree with that. I th I'd, I'd never liked the Saturday cut. I think guys should be, if they made the cut on Friday, they should be allowed to try and have a good Sunday and you know get some money and points and everything everything else. Yeah, I agree. Um, one other thing that's come up is the President's Cup. We've got the uh, eight players are from each team have, have made it and uh, now it's down to the captain's pick. So the big debate will be, should Tiger pick himself? got us going up against the rest of the world i don't know I, I think this would be a good time for tiger to step back not pick himself he's won the masters fantastic this year but other than that it was a middling middling year and i think it's time to give some other guys a chance like what about uh morikawa or or wolf these two young guns who have both come on to the tour like lightning like wouldn't it be great for them to get that international experience get them ready for the Ryder cup because let's face it everybody cares about the Ryder cup the <laughs> president's cup people you know maybe you'll watch it maybe you won't everybody watches the Ryder cup but to give those guys that international experience as a springboard to the Ryder cup i think that's more important than letting tiger play in another event that he really doesn't need to be in maybe the sponsors won't like him not being there but well that's where i'm sort of going with this is i I'd like to see Tiger play because he's 43 years old. How many more of these will he possibly be able to play in? And I mean, yes, the President's Cup isn't the Ryder Cup, but between President and Ryder Cups, there's not that many probably left that he's going to be playing in. And this is in, uh, it's in mid-December in Melbourne, Australia. So I, if I have my time change right, it's going to be in prime time in North America. So 
if you want to get people interested in this thing, it, you got a primetime event, people sitting around on a December, sort of a slow, you know, slower month. I think it'd be, if he's in the field, it's going to generate a lot more interest. And uh, quite frankly, I, I'd want to see him playing. The thing is, although he's not, he's never been great in team events. Yeah. I mean, he's great usually as a solo player and on the, but not usually in team events, but I still, the way I look at it, he doesn't have that many more of these. He can, he can go in. So why not? If he doesn't play in the president's cup, will you still watch it? Well, I will probably. Yes. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know how many casual fans or sport, regular sports fans would watch it, but it's actually, I mean, that golf course is incredible. Royal Melbourne. It's going to be incredible. You're right though. It probably will make a difference with viewership. And you're right also that Tiger doesn't have a lot of events left in a maybe like that. So that is one thing to consider. I just like the idea of, uh, you know, the young guys getting, you know, think out of, think out of the box a little bit, bring in a couple of the young guys, mm-hmm. give them a shot, give them a taste of it. Big Bertha. It's an iconic name. Some of the longest and straightest clubs in all of golf. Well, now the legend just got even easier to hit. The new Big Bertha irons from Callaway are powered by a suspended energy core, a totally new construction to deliver easy launch, long, consistent distance with incredible sound and feel. This is by far Callaway's easiest to launch distance iron ever. Get big time distance now. Experience Big Bertha irons today at your local golf shop or at callawaygolf.ca. All right, well, we are here at Magna Golf Club for the CP Women's Open. Um, all the top women golfers in the world are here. It's a, it's, a, it's a fantastic event year in and year out. And we had an opportunity to talk to the Canadian National Women's Team coach, Tristan Mullally, and here is our interview with him. We want to welcome Tristan Mullally, our first repeat guest on the forecast. Um, Tristan is from, or spent some time in Port Rush. So before we get on to the CP Women's Open, I want to talk to him a bit about what he thought of the Open Championship at Port Rush and uh, how he thought the whole week went. Thanks for having me on again, guys. Um, I think Port Rush was a fantastic venue. I think the players who played there really talked about the caliber of the golf course and how it challenged you in a different way every day. And I think with the weather being a little different, sometimes perfect, sometimes really um, you know, blustery and wet and typical of Ireland at, at certain points of the year, I think it, you know, it, it threw a, a curveball at every kind of player. And, and so with it being new on the road and with everybody starting from a level ground, um, the positive comments coming out of there were awesome to hear because, you know, if, if things don't go well, players tend to, to be that way. I'm not, not a big fan of this course or whatever. So I don't think I heard anybody saying anything negative about the course. And then obviously the area and how beautiful it is and all the things that went with the tournament and a, and a hometown winner pretty much. Uh, made a massive difference to to how it was taken, and I think they're already talking about trying to get it in there earlier than than before, even in the next four or five years, which would be incredible. I think McDowell actually said it great. He said you had some sun, you had some rain, and then at the end on Sunday you had a little Port Rush Armageddon. That was the way he put it. Yeah, I've been there in that kind of weather, and that golf course can be a challenge. There's there's nowhere to hide at points when that weather comes out, and so you got to own your stuff. And you know, I think Shane. Going back to his 2009 win at the Irish Open with how bad that weather was when he won as a as an amateur, you know I think that stood to him when he got into that experience. And uh, I spoke to his coach Neil afterward afterwards and, and talked about that they they actually talked about that that the weather was going to be great and that he, he was going to own it in that kind of weather and it, kind of superb that he did and went and did did what he did on that last day that was phenomenal. Like, given any kind of weather that was phenomenal, never mind you know Armageddon. Yeah, I, I don't know if I would have lasted very long on that day. I think I would have packed my bags and gone home, really. It was terrible there for about a solid hour or so. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, somebody said the rain was coming up your nose, so you know it's a tough day when the rain's coming up your nose. But the reason we have Tristan on this week is we're at Magna here today. It's the CP Women's Open. Um, Tristan is the national women's team coach for Team Canada. Um, so every young golfer we speak to, every young Canadian looks up to Brooke Henderson. I, I was wondering if you could tell us a bit of what she's meant to Canadian golf and, and her spot in the game right now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously, as a defending champion at the Canadian Open, there's uh, a single more important person at this event. And, you know, I first met Brooke when uh, she was 13 and, and kind of came onto our junior national team. And, you know, the progress in her uh, and, and both in her, her personal and her game has been incredible. Uh, I think anybody who knew Brooke knew that she was going to be special. Um, and the fact that she's been able to do that and continue to be that that role model and, and show just how great a kid she is with her family has been phenomenal. And, it isn't just a Canadian story. I think if you look to Brooke worldwide now, people look to her as an ambassador for the game and how well she carries herself. And clearly being a multiple winner every year for the last number of years and challenging for a bunch of majors, you know, she's someone who's going to make a, not just an impact in Canada, but across the world. A lot of the Canadians on the men's tour talk about Mike Weir winning the Masters and what a big deal for them when they were kids and how that sort of propelled them to take up the game. I assume Brooks having the same effect on young women in Canada as well. Yeah, I would think young women and young guys. I think, uh, you know, to look to someone who comes from a small town in Canada and think that that's something that I can do is absolutely huge. And I think it's been lacking. You know, Mike, obviously, and Laurie were, were you know, the mastheads for Canada over the years. And there was a little bit of a window there where that wasn't the case. And now there's a bunch of players, both on the men's and the women's tours, that are that are leading that charge, who, you know, are young and, and vibrant and who speak to the quality of the game in Canada and I think we have to leverage that a little bit to, to kind of show just how good Canadian golf is and, and how much we love it. Um, and, you know, Brooke, being who she is, uh, has a massive influence. And if you walk around, you'll see how many kids are wearing pink visors and who are, you know, trying to follow around. And you watch the galleries on a Monday practice round here, trying to get at her at seven in the morning. And, you know, this kid's got an influence and, and we're pumped up about that. Uh, so... There's got to be a pipeline that you're trying to keep up of young Canadian golfers. Who are some of the people that we should look at this week? I know Celeste Dow is here. There's a 12-year-old in the field, Michelle Liu. Can you tell us a bit about the, the pipeline of young Canadian golfers and what, to, what we have to expect? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, you know, we have a, a bunch of younger professionals on here too. Our young pro program in Brittany Marchand and Anne Catherine Tangay um, and Maddie Zarek, who are all on the LPGA and the Symmetra Tour, who've kind of just graduated through our programming and work in our young professional program. And then in the field with our amateur team, we've got Mary Parsons uh, from BC and, and Bridget Thibault, uh, who just came back off a Pan American Games bronze medal. Um, and then you're starting to get into Celeste and, and Emily Zhu, who are on our junior team, and obviously Michelle, who you know had a phenomenal performance at the, the Canadian Amateur to get into this event. I think the future is bright, and if you look to, to the level of players beneath those, um, they not only aspire to, to be on pros, but to be at the level that those kids are at and to be on junior teams and to be on provincial teams so that they can get there. And they've seen that that's the pathway uh, and they want to start to do it. Are there, uh, not to put you on the spot, don't want to get you in trouble with anybody on the team, but are there a couple of names that maybe stand out for you as who might, you know, get close to the level of Brooke? Obviously, Brooke's in a league of her own, but... Yeah, I think Brooke is in the league on her own. You know, to get into those top three, four, five players in the world, especially the way he has it, uh, she has, it's very special, and it's, it's you know, a very difficult thing to do, even as one of the best players in the world. So I think to expect anyone to be at that level is a challenge. Um, but certainly, we've got players who are capable of winning on the LPGA, and, and they should go and do that. I think you know, one in the field this week would be Maddie Zarek. You know, Maddie had a stellar college career, 
um, had the lowest scoring average uh, or the lowest amount of rounds under par ever of a collegiate player finishing a college. Uh, won seven NCAA events. Um, you know, career low rounds of 61s and 2s, like just a, a standout college player who was a former Canadian junior champion and through our programming. She's lying 12th on the Symmetra money list right now in her first year. And is someone who's just starting to grow into how good she is. And, you know, I could see her with this golf course doing really well. Uh, but then you start to look to the junior players. I think Emily Zhu is very, very impressive. Canadian junior champion, 15 years old. Um, if you were to look at her, she's a very slight build, but then watch her hit it. She hits it as far as anybody in the team, you know, almost a hundred miles an hour swing speed at 15 and maybe weighing a hundred pounds, maybe. Uh, so, you know, and, and more than just how she hits it, just how she carries herself and, and goes about her business. She's very impressive and someone to look for. You're, you're talking about swing speed there. Do you think... Um the women's game is changing a little bit, becoming more of a power game than it was? It's absolutely going that way. And I, I think we did a comparison a number of years ago in terms of why uh, it was viewed that sometimes the men's game was better than the women's game. And, and was that real in terms of stats? And, you know, certainly in the men's game, there's more depth. There are more players playing the game. So the standard at that lower end is, is definitely higher. But, you know, the top 30 players in the world, the stroke average, if you look across tours, is actually very similar. And when you take the length that they hit off the tee, the women are playing a golf course that's probably the equivalent of six or seven hundred yards longer than men on a, on a weekly basis on the LPGA. So imagine what the scoring would be in a, a men's event in an 8,000 yard golf course. And so, you know, because they're longer and the golf courses are respectively shorter, um, longer players have a massive advantage over the course of it. The women's game now, because it's still so long, there isn't really that many players who are much longer than the rest. So we're not seeing that yet. But that's going to happen. I remember when we first started with our junior team, the average speed was, you know, around 90 miles an hour at 15, 16. That's getting close to 100 miles an hour. That's a big jump. And, and that's going to happen on the LPGA. And how does that happen, that jump in speed? I think some equipment, but also, you know, we're looking at every stone, trying to unturn it now. How can we get an advantage, a competitive advantage? And that's certainly being identified that if we can create more speed by being in the gym, by being a little faster, by using some modern technology to, to try and create that, that, there is an advantage to be gained there, uh, but we're not alone. Everybody's trying to do the same thing. So, And you've taught both men and women, obviously. Is there a difference teaching both at the top of the game? But is there a difference teaching men and women? Do they have different, uh, is there a personality style or a style of coaching that they respond better to? Yeah, I, I think, you know, as a golfer myself, I, I kind of, I had this idea that when I first started working with, with ladies that they had a much better short game than men because they were always going to be further from the green. Uh, and it's actually the opposite. Men's short games and wedge play tends to be much more because they tend to have those clubs more often with the setups of the golf course. Whereas ladies are, are generally, you think about being a junior, you're not hitting it very far. So you get used to hitting hybrids and three woods and longer irons in really close. And what really amazed me was the proximity of ladies golf from hybrids and long irons and maybe how average they were from wedges just because that wasn't something they did a lot. Whereas in the guy's game, unless you're like a rock star from inside 150, which is basically a wedge nowadays, um, you're probably not going to compete because it's one thing to be driving a long way, but you also got to take advantage of those longer drives by hitting it in to where you can hold putts. So I think, you know, the difference in the game is actually we, we've got to improve short short wedges and, and pitches, especially if the girls' game is going to get longer. That's going to be a bigger factor. So I think when that happens, wedge game and short game is going to be better. But the guy's, uh, yeah, speed is huge. So if you get a guy who can only move it at 160 miles an hour now with ball speed, they're, they're so far behind the eight ball that that's a big priority. There's going to be a lot of uh, you know families coming here with, with young kids and, and young girls. What advice would you have for parents that are getting their kids into the game sort of um, for a couple of years? 
at what point should you get the kids to a you know to a professional to get the the basics down? At what point can you know mom or dad do their own thing? I think first things first, bring them to an event like this. Show them what it's like and how much, you know, especially in, in the girls game, how there are people that they can aspire to be. You know, I was at a women's conference yesterday where, you know, Olympians talked about the first point of touch for them and where they really believed it was when they met a female who had a gold medal or when they met someone who had done it. I was like, wow, I can do that. And so bring them to an event like this. That's the first thing. Um, golf is actually much easier to access than people think. Uh, we have a Future Links program. Uh, we have our golf and schools program that allows them to touch it in their school. If you if you have a school that has a kit, try and get your teachers to get it out and do it as a gym class. Um, there are a bunch of great teachers who work at smaller municipal golf courses and ranges. You know, get them out there and and, and learn the game as a, a fun way to spend your time. Um, and then if they do decide that hey, I love this, I want to start progressing. You know, have them chip away at tournaments, but honestly, that's not the important thing at the start. It's to love the game and to to be out there with you and your family. And, and that's how I would start. And if you talk to Brooke, you talk to anybody who's had real success, it was a joyous game, a joy time that they spent with their family first and then became something they wanted to pursue after, not the other way around. Yeah, there's probably that danger of parents pushing too hard at the beginning and turning their kids off, right? Yeah, and I, I think most of the top athletes will say that their parents push them hard and that maybe at a time... There was a little bit of a wobble there, but to be the best in the world, you kind of have to push a little bit, but it has to be built on, I love this game. And it, it, you have to have that foundation of, I want to do this too. And then if you're being pushed, it's easy to take. But if if it's because you love the game and your kids are just going to have to go through it, then yeah, there's challenges there. That's great. I think we'll leave it there with Tristan. We want to thank him for coming on here at Magna and have a great week at the CP Women's Open. Thanks so much, guys. Again, we want to thank Tristan for joining us. And for John McCarthy and Dave Hilson, you can follow me on Twitter at, at John McCarthy Sun. And I'm Dave underscore Hilson at Twitter. And we'll be back with another forecast. Thanks. Thanks, John.